Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and today's guest is currently the 26th ranked player in the world, according to the Global Poker Index, James Romero. If James isn't a familiar name to you yet, it's only a matter of time. Over the last four years, battling in the live poker arena, James has racked up a ridiculous $4.7 million in winnings, including a $1.9 million score at the WPT Five Diamond Classic in 2016. In our conversation today, James and I will cover his poker journey from living in Mexico, battling in the online arena, to becoming one of the most feared competitors at any table he sits at. You're going to hear about the expectations that come with winning one of the most prestigious events of the year straight out of the gate, how James maintained his energy levels and focus heading into a tournament with life-changing ramifications, and what his future holds in the poker world. To foreshadow a little on this, he also took down a 25k high roller a few short weeks after we had recorded our interview. In our conversation, you'll also learn James's thoughts on bankroll considerations for folks that consistently play 5K and 10K events, the thing you absolutely must have to ensure you don't get eaten alive when you're at the top of the cash game or tournament world, how James studies and improves his game in a live setting, and much, much more. So without any further ado... I bring to you my conversation with one of the elite tournament players in the world, James Romero. James, welcome to the show, my man. How are we doing? Thank you. Everything's great. Awesome. It's awesome having you here. Beautiful day outside. I want to start out by asking you the story of how you got into playing cards. What year was it? How old were you? How'd that go down? Yeah, it was high school. Uh, I had a group of friends that all liked gambling. Uh, we would bet on everything, and then we found, and then we found poker. So it was like uh, it was perfect for us. We would just gamble at lunch and after school and stuff. What did this gambling look like? Like how much money? Um, I think it was like twenty-five cent, twenty-five cent cash games, buying for five dollars, and then it was just always a hobby of mine. I'd always have friends over and uh, and play at my house. And then I met, um, in college, I met a guy who was very good friends with West Menlo AA. And like, I became obsessed with it from there. And for those in the audience that may not be familiar, um, who is that guy? That's Isaac, you- Isaac Barron. I'm I, Isaac Barron. He was like, he was 2008 online player of the year. Gotcha. And, uh, I'm very ignorant when it comes to, multi-table tournaments <laughs> and screen names because um, I live in the cash game arena. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. for, for instance, in, the, um, in my interview with John Van Fleet, obviously I've heard of Stephen Chidwick, but I did not know his online name. <laughs> like I, uh, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, get, I'm out of it um, as far as that's concerned. Battling on the anonymous streets of like ignition, right? There's uh, table number four. He's, right. a, he's a real son of a bitch. But um, yeah, <laughs> we know uh, we we know screen names. We know screen names better than real names. That's that's all we saw. But yeah, it was Isaac Barron. I was in college, and um, college is obviously really tough, and the classes are not fun, and your future. I mean, the experience of your like job in the future doesn't look too nice. So um, anything, any any kind of job that would be more exciting than what I was destined for was like really appealing for me at the time. And I mean, at the time, Isaac was like uh, traveling the world, playing high stakes tournaments, living you know, a pretty fulfilling life. So I, I just, I wanted to be him pretty much. What year was that? That would have been, uh, 2010, 2009. Okay. Yeah. And he, I mean, he, at the time he was making videos for card runners and then he was, he was also, um, kind of coaching my good friend in college. So, uh, I mean, that just got me really excited. What did, what and, did, and it was really fun. They, the games were really good online at the time, so it was like extremely fun. Full Tilt was running, PokerStars was running. I could play from my dorm room. The, the games were insane. I remember like um, twenty-four dollar tournaments on Full Tilt with like two thousand runners on a weekday or something like that. Yeah, just cranking them out every single day of the week. The online poker landscape back then was amazing. Um, when you could yeah. you could get money on and you could get money off, I think that's obviously uh, you know Black Black Friday really hurt poker online poker and I'm personally not confident that even if it were to get legalized regulated on a federal level, um, which it probably won't, but even on a state to state level, if every single state regulated it i still i don't think it would go back to those days i don't think we're going to see those days ever again there's no shot we there's no shot we ever will yeah it's it's sad um it's sad that that poker kind of got taken out in its prime but tell me what did it look like for you like when you're you're in college you're diving you're becoming immersed into this thing that is sort of like your, you know, your get out of jail free card in a way, right? It's like get out of it really is. Yeah, get out of the rat race free don't be, card. Don't be in a yeah. don't be in a cubicle for like 30 or 40 years. That I mean that was that would that would haunt me. It would haunt me. Well, I was studying and I remember studying like so I you know, in 3 years from now I can just sit in a cubicle for 30. It would haunt me. Yeah, um did you finish college or did you Yeah, no, I I did graduate. And I'm guessing, I how many times have you used your degree? Yeah, zero. <laughs> zero times. I mean, there, 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 there are a lot of concepts that apply and cross over, especially like in my later two years of college, but especially uh, the, the general education, the first two years is junk, I think. So you are immersed in poker. How were you doing before yeah. you graduate college? Like, where were you at? Were you at a point to where you knew this, that you could make this work because if my math is right and like 2010, you're becoming immersed black Friday's right around the corner. So what did it look like when you graduated college? I, I, I wasn't making a ton cause I wasn't playing a ton and I didn't have a huge bankroll when black Friday hit, but, uh, I thought I would give it a few months and just see what happened. I mean, it, it was, it was kind of scary um, cause I didn't have like big results by then. You mean like when you graduated college 
Yeah, like Black Friday hit and I was no longer to play online. So I just went back to focusing on on my studies. Yeah. And then what made you take the leap and go for professional poker in an uncertain poker climate? I mean, I knew the community. I knew a lot of the players and I would uh, I would look at their results and I, I didn't think that they would that they could like outperform me really. Like I, I was pretty sure I could outperform them. And then I was basically looking at their salary and estimating what I could do. That's pretty much it. I mean, at the time, we had a lot of players in Mexico that I knew that like really didn't try that hard that were making good money. Like people that didn't study, had bad habits, didn't work a lot, weren't very good at math. And I, I just thought like, there's no way that I can't do this. Yeah, that, I can imagine that that's going to give you confidence moving forward. Were you playing cash games or tournaments in the beginning? No, I only I only played tournaments. Only played the, tournaments. The rake was really low. The games were good. The rake was low. Yeah, it it, it makes it made a lot of sense. So those tournaments, you're you're battling in tournaments up through. When did you start playing live poker? Like, were you playing along the way? Was that something that else that you jumped into? Yeah, I dabbled every now and then. Um, but it's something I tried to stay away from because I, I, w- I wouldn't get any better while playing live. When I was at home, I would like force myself to study while playing and I could look at ranges and equities and stuff like that. So I knew uh, playing live poker wasn't like a long-term solution when I was learning. So then w- what was your first live experience? Where did you go? Where'd you play? Yeah, I play local houses in Portland, like, uh, or, like around my college. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I played some one, three, fly to vegas for spring break and stuff yeah and like once i saw the once i saw the live economy it got me even like um more addicted because i saw how like flourishing i saw how good it was like hundreds of people in a room not a lot of them were very skilled like at the time there were not like no regs like it was really exciting to see that like even if online had issues i i could play live like basically wherever i wanted in the world Yes, live poker. It's kind of interesting because I'm not bullish on the long-term aspects of online poker, but live poker, I feel like it's going to just last forever effectively. Um, Completely agree. Completely agree. Which which means that becoming a live pro and adapting to the live environment is just it's a necessity. I think in mm-hmm. in today's poker climate, and I'm with you. Like I remember. After Black Friday, maybe it was 2013, I went to the WSOP and went to the Rio. I was playing some cash games there. And I remember walking in, and because I hadn't been traveling and playing cards, and I had never been to the WSOP at that point, like just walking in, it's almost it was almost intimidating hearing um, just all the talk, like all the buzz and the chatter around you. Like you can just stand in the middle of it and you hear like, I was floating and blah, blah, blah. Like you just hear all the terms and everything. And I I remember thinking like, holy shit, like it's just thousands of players and like they're all going to be really good at poker. And then I sat down at the cash games and started battling them. And I was like, oh, (laughs) okay, no, I was wrong. Like the, the terminology, they know, the jargon, they know, but still weren't very great at actually playing cards. And just yeah, a lot of people have a dis- a lot of people have a disconnect there, where these the online players that haven't experienced live think that uh, commonly kind of have those feelings that you had. 
and thinks that thinks thinks that the games are somewhat similar. I, I don't think people appreciate the difference enough. Like when I go and play a live 5K main event, like we're dealing with like seven wrecks per table. Where online, maybe you get like one in a in a 215. Right. You know, maybe you get like one wreck, and and I I don't think people like. I don't think people appreciate that. Well, like what that does to your a good player's win rate and like the differences we're dealing with. Oh, for sure. And the thing was, like I had played a lot of live poker up to that point. You know, I just hadn't gone to like a giant festival like that. And everybody yeah. was like young. You know, they were like around my age, and so it was sort of like uh, they were like incognito recreational players. <laughs> they weren't like the the folks that I was used to battling, like in home games and stuff like that. And, and I mean, coming up, like, you know, I started in 2004 and I was almost always the youngest player at my table, like almost always. And I remember that year at the WSOP in the cash games at one point looking around the table and thinking, holy shit, like I'm 30 years old and I'm the oldest player at this cash game. Yeah. It just, uh, it's a nature poker got a little younger and I got a little older and I get <laughs> just, that was how it ended up, but still the, the skill level, and it's a different skill set too, playing live. Completely. Tell me, tell me about that. Like, wh- what are the differences in playing live and playing online that folks need to adjust for? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a massive difference. Um, I, I think the biggest one being availability of statistics and HUD. I'm, I mean, I'm st- I still talk to the high stakes community online and it's, you know, it's it's a lot about um, basically mapping mapping the player pools and mapping the other players. These guys have crazy HUDs. They know how they know when someone's deviating from GTO and how to exploit it. And they're forced to play much more GTO. And it's it, yeah, it's it's very different. In live, no one has all all any of that information. So you you basically just have to um, keep track of your image and how other people see you. And that's basically like the HUD that you're portraying and you have much more freedom to to do a lot weirder stuff and to deviate heavily. It's an exploitative environment live and online. It's it's more of like a rigid GTO. Right. And you know, it's, you can, you can have like a hundred percent turn bet or a hundred percent fold to turn bet. And it's going to take a while for people to catch on if they ever do, especially if you play like my stakes, like 5K mains or 10K mains where you're table changing all the time. Like online, if it, if any of those frequencies gets like, you know, five to 10% outside of equilibrium, the whole table is going to know and, you know, try to exploit you for the next year. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, and if you're playing like the 1Ks or the 1500s or the 2Ks or the 3Ks, forget about it. Like you can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. nobody's nobody's ever going to pick up on anything you're doing because they're they don't have the sample size. And then going beyond that, they don't even know how to counter properly a lot of times, and they're not studied. So it just becomes it just becomes this hyper creative environment. Yes, I uh, I do love me some live poker. Love me some live poker. So. 2012, you start your career, you're battling in tournaments in Mexico. From then to 2016, how are things going? 
Um, how are things going in your career? How are things going in your life leading up to, you know, obviously your major score, the, the five diamonds. Yeah. So after college, I started traveling immediately and doing really well online. Sometimes I take live trips and play cash. I don't, I didn't have like a network at all. It was just me and like the few people that I was traveling with are new, you know, like a handful of players. Um, so backing was not like a question. It was always, I was always own rolled, but crushing, crushing on American sites. Then I moved to Mexico and started crushing on stars, got more money, wanted to live in like more exotic places, went to Costa Rica with a friend, got like, um, really nice big apartment in the nicest area of downtown San Jose making good money now I had all of this time that I could spend for like recreation hobbies gym etc so like my life I had a very fulfilling life um for like a three full three years in in Costa Rica like probably the best years of my life you know getting out of that college environment um feeling free like making good money with uh with good friends and the games were great why did you move away from costa rica yeah so 2000 2016 hit win rates were becoming more stagnant like i still had a win rate of like six bb per hundred but up until that point in my career it had been my win rates were increasing substantially and my stakes were dropping. Like I was playing the highest stakes, but the ceiling was coming down. And I wanted to know why. Like my fields were shrinking, the games were shrinking. And ever since then, poker was booming. Um, so I wanted to know like what's going on. So I went like really heavy study into the latest software, GTO, um, all these programs to see what's going on. And when when I started studying PIO and a couple other programs, I realized like this is quickly going to become poker will quickly become like chess or humans cannot beat the computer. And I'm not saying it's happening now, but I was just like looking long-term for my career. You know, is this where I want to position myself to be good at this craft that will be shrinking every year until it's gone. And I, I like, I just hated that thought. So I, you know, just started making moves and ideas and like wanted to play live. So I developed a stronger live network, uh, got in touch with um, some high stakes players I knew and um, did a lot of work for them and eventually got a deal to play live events and then pick up and left from Costa Rica, like within a few weeks and and never look back I, I took a pretty large salary cut when i came to, when i played um when i moved from online to live but i knew it was the future yeah some so, uh current current pain for future well-being yeah exactly so you weren't own rolled at that at that point right you, you had you had a backer in place when you transitioned to the live realm when i transferred to live yeah i got i got backing for uh higher stakes Gotcha. Yeah, to to play like to play like five Ks and ten K sustainably, you need to be a millionaire. Well, what do you think the role is for five K, ten K sustainably? How many buy-ins? Assuming you're not just yeah. punting them away. Yeah, it depends on your risk appetite. I would use um, 
Uh, PrimeDope.com has really nice variance calculators for this, for cash games and for tournaments. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, for like if you're going to play 5K, 10K mains, I, I, I'm not sure, but at least a million. I mean, your yearly expenses is a factor. Your expected ROI is a factor. For sure. Your ability to get backing is a factor. You, I, I don't think it's as simple. Like for 5K and 10K mains, I don't think you're going to swing more than like five or 600K. You know, but there's you have living expenses, you have time in between scores. You know, if your million dollars drops down to like 600K, are you still going to want to fire 10Ks? Probably not. So that, you know. Yeah, all, all very big factors. Probably the most being ROI. Like if you're, obviously your variance is going to be- That is the biggest. Your, your variance is going to be way, way, it's going to swing wildly based on what your expected win rate is. And if you're like breaking even or a slight winner, you're just going to have an insane amount of variance and your bankroll needs to be way bigger than somebody that's, you know, has a high ROI and it's crushing. Agreed. Um, So you moved to the live realm. What year was that when you started in earnest battling? Was that 2016? 2016, yeah. All right. So we're in 2016. You're kicking your live career off. Feeling okay about yourself heading to five diamond. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, I was in like seven K makeup and uh banked off my first ten K for two million. It was uh <laughs> it was pretty insane. Yeah. I was getting used to live though. I was playing a lot of cash games and I was getting for a feel for like um the the human element, the emotional element where, you know, finding where people are gonna be deviating on on either side of passive or aggressiveness and like, you know, not worrying as much about GTO. And, um, how did you feel going through that tournament? I mean, how many days was it? How, how was your confidence as far as like you versus the field? Yeah, it was like, uh, I think it was five days. I, I was hyper-focused because obviously like the money meant a lot to me. When I had 3x starting stack, I would constantly be calculating like how much is my stack worth, and you know it was a it was a big chunk. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of money for a grinder, and um, I think it. You, you see this a lot where even great players, if they're not bankrolled and they don't have, um, you know, if they don't have a lot of savings or whatever, they're not going to be able to play well uh, deep. It's it's really really tough to play correctly and not let bias get a hold of your mind uh when you're playing like for for large sums and yeah i was feeling great at the time and nothing like none of that bothered me so just feel like you had uh your head on straight which is pretty impressive considering the stakes you were playing for and how you weren't used to exactly battling in the live arena but i will say this you know you'd been in the game for a while you'd played a ton of tournaments and there's a lot to be said for just being comfortable playing cards. And when, like if you're battling for huge sums of money, I know like if I'm battling in a huge cash game pot, I almost never feel nerves. Like I almost never feel nervous, even if it's, you know, 20, Mm -hmm. 30, 30 K pot. And I, I I say, I've said on the show a few times too, that it's way more nerve wracking watching a friend play a massive pot than being involved in a massive pot, which I I would assume is true in tournament poker too, probably. Yeah, but it's to a different magnitude because in a cash game, like let's 
say you sit down with like 1k you're never going to be playing a pot that's like more than 10k you know which is 10 times the buy-in like five diamond like these big main events we're playing for like a hundred a hundred x you know a hundred x pots like maybe we play a 500k pot or a, you know something it's, it's like actually like life-changing like if i if i win this flip my life looks very very different than if i lose this flip how how did you how do you what do you think gave you an edge in compartmentalizing in five diamond when you're playing for this life-changing money like where did you find the mental clarity the uh the focus the energy to perform at a at a high level despite playing for life-changing money i had a really healthy life at the time i didn't have any issues like i didn't have any like relationship issues or friend issues i was working out a lot um, it was in my hometown, so I wasn't jet lagged. Like I was eating, like I eat really well. I, I just remember having like high energy and being very optimistic. I have things to fall back on. I have, you know, I had a decent bankroll at the time. I think all of those things are really important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the bankroll is—they're all super important, especially the skills of taking care of your mind, taking care of your body, making sure you sleep well at night watching what you put into your body, right? Like, uh, probably not going to be super beneficial if, you know, you're out partying until three or 4am getting drunk and then going to try to perform the next day. (laughs) It's probably going to have an effect on your cognitive ability. Um, but also having the knowledge that even if things don't work out, even if this tournament doesn't go the way that I want it to, I still have a stable situation. There's still hope for the future where you don't put your entire, that's huge your entire sense of worth in the results of this single tournament. Right. I think that that can help people perform at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I have a, have a quote here from you after you win the five diamond, you said you didn't know if anything else in life would feel more exciting than this, just because it was so unexpected with a wedding or a baby. You move, you move towards that slowly over a period of time. You can't imagine anything more exciting happening in your life. This could be the pinnacle. This was a few right. years ago. Do you, do you stand by that? Yeah, I stand by that for sure. Yeah? I mean, the, these, these big mains are career starters. It's, it's incredibly important for a poker player to like uh, network and have a resume. And like, like yeah. If you're going to play poker professionally, like, Having having like a big score is 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 like paramount. Did you have any expectations after binking five diamond? How was your 2017 and the rest of your 2016? And yeah, yeah. I, I thought I, I I um I thought I would be like printing. I obviously my sample was so small. I thought my ROI in these live birds would be like 200 percent something like this. So I thought I was just going to win everything. And yeah, I didn't, I, I, I went on a downswing after that. I played kind of high. And then I also took a lot of time off and spent a lot of time in 2017. And, um, you know, I, I think we see this quite often actually when, when players have breakout years, like some of the, some of their, some of them dream to just keep playing every day, all day. And then some of them like have just wanted to take time off for a while and we'll go quiet for like a year or two and then come back and I think we see that a lot which category I were quiet you in for, quiet for a while 
Yeah, I kind of went quiet for 2017. Just chilling, um, living. I didn't living play a lot. Life. I hung out with I hung out with family a lot. I relaxed a lot. Like I just felt like I'd been working so like so many years so hard that you know I had financial free. Like there, I had no bills coming up that I wasn't able to pay. Like you know, it's there was no the pressure was off to make money. So when you jump back in there. What was the, were you just, you were just ready to go? Was there a feeling you had of like, okay, I need to, I need to get back in the arena and go back to war? Yeah. Yeah. I started getting that itch and I would just sit in my room and study. Like, I I think I studied like for like three months straight every day before I started playing again. Um, I just felt like that everyone was getting better and I needed, you know, I needed to do a lot of studying before going back. What did that studying look like? It was a lot of um, poker snowy a lot of IO, a lot of Munker pre-flop solves, talking with friends, training videos. I think I have like, I watched like every single training course that hit the market. And any of them that helped you more than any other ones, do you think? Man, I think Pio really hurt my game for a long time. I I played exploitative my whole life and it worked really well. Um, And then Pio shows you this, um Pio shows you how to be GTO and it a lot of times it doesn't apply uh to playing with other humans. It's very hard to emulate. Um it's very complex and um a lot of the strategy only makes sense if you're playing against a like perfect bot and we never do. It's yeah. I see it happen a lot where people get worse for like the first couple of years with Pio. Um, people try to get um, study the study the grids too much and try to exactly uh, imitate Pio rather than pulling out like general theory, and it's really bad for win rate. Really, really, really bad. I made a post on Twitter yesterday or the day before that was talking. Basically, it was a comparison, right? It's like rock, you're playing rock paper scissors, and you know the GTO strategy is just randomized. And so you're going to chop some and you're going to, you're going to win and win and lose 50% just by randomizing one of the mm-hmm. three decisions. Right. And it, imagine you're yeah. playing somebody that you have data on that says this person chooses rock 80% of the time. Well, exactly. if, you, if you know, they have choose rock 80% of the time, you can play a GTO strategy and win 50% of the time regardless, or you can take the exploitative route and choose paper a hundred percent of the time and win 80% of your games beating their rock, right? And that's something that, like, you know, GTO, like you said, it's easily misapplied. It can be easily harmful to folks' game. I'm always a big advocate, you know, that poker is a game of people, and people are predictable. And especially in a live setting, you get data, you get information on what this guy's thinking, what they're doing, then you can exploit their tendencies, and to just ignore that the human element in poker is such a mistake. You, you leave so much money on the table that it's, it's interesting to me how such a powerful tool can be misapplied, misused, and even give people this like overwhelming self-confidence that if you even question their dogmatic belief in GTO, they go absolutely apeshit and defend it to their death. It's really interesting. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
like the people that are studying the solvers and Pio will will get really excited and um, think like three percent pot share. Messing up by three percent pot share is a big deal, um, right? If you if you like take a mixed decision and you go one way or the other, like you're gonna mess up by like you're gonna lose like three percent of the pot. But when you're studying populations and you're studying exploits, uh, it's very common that I'm finding spots where people are making errors for 25 or 30% pot share. And you're not going to be able to capture that as an exploitative player unless you know what's going on and you're attacking that spot. We're, we see this all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of population study uh, nowadays. It used to be a lot of work with Holden Manager and Poker Tracker 4 to map populations. And, and now I'm working with Hantanote, which is like the new, it's like, yeah, new new tracking software, and it's in, it's incredible, and it, it it's just like highlighting all these spots where populations are making are making like insane errors, and and GTO just doesn't it just doesn't matter anymore once you have this data. What is up, my loyal chasing poker greatness listener, Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question: How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. How... So you primarily play live now, correct? Yeah. So how do you how are you mapping this data um, from a live live perspective? Yeah, I, I just assume it applies. To live okay. Play. Okay. Um, and and beyond that, when I was playing cash, I would actually keep track of statistics and frequencies on my phone. I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous, like how how I could do that, um, but I do it pretty accurately like it's as simple as in a heads up pot someone call you raise someone calls um they check the flop and you bet you can just mark on your phone whether or not they call or fold and like once you have a large enough sample now you now you know like what population fold flop frequency is so you can do that kind of work for like all of these different decision nodes i think i had like 50 in my phone and i would just sit there in my cash games like with um, like my notepad or I just have a notepad open on my phone. And every time I saw a decision point, I would just like mark it. How, hel- how helpful has that been? Yeah, it was incredibly helpful. Um, 
it was actually showing me that the po- the live populations are not playing that that much different than the online populations. I mean, there there are spots where they play much different, but the majority of the spots are played about the same. So it was it was really nice to see. And and I'm 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 talking like intri- intricate detailed spreadsheets. Like when I do studies, when I do work, I'm I'm messing around. Like I I'm I'm in there and I want accuracy. I want and I and I want like um size like um sample sizes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it doesn't do you much good if you're studying something with a small sample size or extrapolating some tendencies that you can exploit that are incorrect. So you, I think you, like live full to three, that was like 20% or something that off the top of my head. That's what I would think. Like in a live setting, cash game setting, people just don't fold the three bets, especially the more recreational type players. Like it's, it's actually kind of shocking when somebody raises pre they get three bet and then they, they just fold and you don't see a flop. It's so rare compared to online. Yeah. I tried to map it. Yeah, I tried to map it with my phone, and then um, and then I went back to mapping it online, and I just saw a lot of similarities and, and trends, which is good to know. Um, good to know that everybody doesn't have to sit around keeping data points on every hand that they play versus population in order to uh, in order to map out human behavior. But it it makes a lot of sense that that people that play online will play one way, and people play live. Um, naturally they're going to, their default mode is going to be how they play online. So very similar as far as those kind of tendencies, I would imagine. So you're back in it, 2018, right now your GPI, where are you ranked? Top 50, probably top Top 100, top 50. I'm not sure. How do you feel about your game compared to when you first started 2016? Oh man, I'm getting so much better. I mean, my network, my network of hardworking, intelligent friends is insane. Like if I have a question about any detailed um, area of poker, I have, I have like a hundred different people I can ask and they, they're all good at different stuff. Some, some are good at GTO, some are good at exploitive, some are good at live, some are good at like efficiency, just like traveling. I mean, it's insane. It's like having a hundred private coaches. How did you get in this network? Or if somebody listening wants to find a network, how, how, how would you go about it? I, I study a lot and I create easy, easily com- communicatable information. Like I'll just like make PowerPoint slides on something that I found and, and I'll just like send them to my friends. Just the good stuff. Like if it, maybe I spend five hours studying and I find like two sentences of something that's like fantastic, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll save that and, you know, put, put together like something simple that people can save on their phones and, and get better at, or, um, I do a lot of trading. So maybe I help, maybe I help out like a lot of people for free move money. I introduce people that need help in certain areas, like to each other or make groups, like just basically try to be an asset, um, to my friends and the people, like the people that I see at every stop. And then they're generally happy to reciprocate. But like it's it's oh it's generally always me like making the first initiative to like create a mutually beneficial relationship because I see the long term like possibilities um, and effects this could have on my career. So 
it's important for me to like develop relationships. I think there are a lot of smart people and everybody's working on different stuff. So like everyone else, everyone has something smart to say. Basically creating value for your network. Um, and I think yeah. you thinking long-term, this makes sense over the course of our conversation that you're a long-term thinker. You look at the big picture and not just, you know, how can I improve my ROI for the next three tournaments, find something out, never tell anybody, hoard all this information, um, be this ivory tower that's not sharing. Because like you said, different, different friends, different parts of your network are good at different skills and they can help you out in areas yeah. that you're weak in. So, you know, you both improve yeah. in these, you know, these, uh, relationships, and yeah. uh, I think that's that's something that that you know that's a greatness bomb on this show that that folks, if you're listening, be of value to your network, create value for them, improve their lives in some way, help them out when it comes to poker, and then that gets reciprocated. Always remember the the law. And sometimes sometimes it takes months. Yeah, sometimes it takes months to develop these relationships. You know, like maybe people are people don't you know want to share that much with you for a long time but like you just keep on putting effort you know maybe 6 months a year from now you know maybe they'll help you out with something there you go that's a super super intelligent way to go about it it's a fulfilling way way that probably makes you feel good about yourself sharing these uh you absolutely know, eureka moments um and it's fun to have a social network especially as a traveling player like i can show up to st- stops i know every single stop i'll have at least 10 friends there it makes my job more fun. It makes, you know, my, if I get bored at the tournament table, I can walk around and talk to like anyone, you know, talk to people on my phone. It's, it's, um, poker is a social game and life is social and you need to embrace it. I think. Yeah. See them on break. If you, if you bust out in a location or whatever, you can go out, have some fun. Uh, always, it's always more fun when, when you're, you're doing, you're traveling around with people that, that, you know, um, yeah. And you can feel that time. So uh, when you think of joy in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Deep runs is always fun. Um, but also like the, just the traveling to these uh, countries is great. Like jumping on a plane and, and like the experiences that I'm having, you know, going to these countries I never would have gone to that are just uh, crazy good, you know, countries I want to retire in and stuff. It, it's, what's one that yeah. stands out in your mind? I'm, Th- I'm Thailand's up there, Thailand and Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm big on tropical weather, uh, like beaches, uh, greenery, animals. The smell. Yeah. Just There's some good ones out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like food, culture. <laughs> I like the warmth. I'm not like, I, I feel like I should be a bear that just hibernates when it's cold outside because I, I like warm yeah. weather. I like the breeze, the smell of the ocean. That to me is like, those, that's my favorite time going, visiting beaches and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you travel, when you travel tournaments, a lot of the times the stops are in the summer, the local area, it's, it's the best time of the year. And you get to choose, right? You can choose uh, which stop to go to. Yeah. So yeah, let's not do this um, trip to a Alaska or wherever random spot it is. Let's, Atlantic go, let's City. go to the beach. Atlantic yeah. City. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that you're looking for. So that's the worst one. Atlantic City is the worst. I haven't yeah. actually been there. I've heard it's I've heard it's fairly dirty. I don't know. I, I can't say. Why is Atlantic City the worst? Uh, I guess I just went there, so I'm a little bit biased, but 
man, it's cold. I mean, it, the casino is surrounded by projects. It's, it's hard to get to. It's just not good. Not a good spot. Tunica, Mississippi, too. I've spoken about Tunica, Mississippi. It's kind of boring. There's not much going on there. So, all right, let's, let's go to some, some lightning round questions here. Imagine there's a carbon copy of yourself in the year 2020, just starting out in the game of poker. If you could sit that kid down, give them some advice right now, what would that advice be? Study for the first year without playing much. Don't spend your money on anything until you are rich. Like, be extremely frugal. Uh, Put in volume. Surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and work harder than you. Don't get tied down in any, like, heavy relationships when you're young. Like, any heavy romantic relationships when you're young. That's just solid advice across the board. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Be able to move to where games are good. Like, don't sign long leases. Don't own a bunch of stuff. Um, Be ready to travel. And, yeah, those those are the big ones. Sounds good. Sounds like a good recipe to me to uh, find some success playing this game. If you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would it be? Juicy online games. Again. <laughs> Go back back to the golden age. Yeah. I think uh I think yeah. pretty much everybody can agree with that one. That's not gonna that's not a very controversial one. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player's gotta drive past on their way to the casino. What does that billboard say? Um be courteous. Play fast. Uh, be friendly. I think that's 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 good enough for a billboard. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to cause people to drive off the road trying to read your billboard. Be courteous. Yeah. Play fast. Be friendly. Always, 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 yeah. always. Be a fun person to play with, folks that are listening. Don't don't yell at people. Don't be discourteous. Everybody has a right to play the cards the way that they so choose. And if that means that they get lucky against you or whatever the case may be, so be it. That's life. Yeah. You see a lot of, um, a lot of the best players right now are all very social people, extremely friendly people. When you, when you get to the top of like tournament cash game world, it's you, you need a network or you're not going to survive. You know, in cash games, you need a network for private games and in tournaments, you need a network for backing. And you, if you're going to be backed for someone by someone long term, you're you're like a representation of them, and people don't want to work with like people that are like rude or don't know how to socialize, don't know how to say, uh, don't know how to talk. Like you're you're somewhat of a salesperson, and um, you represent a company, so like you need to watch how you behave for sure. It's something hey, that I'm I'm like I learned. Yeah, if you burn bridges early on, those don't just rebuild themselves. <laughs> you, uh, you make a bad impression to folks no. early in your career. People remember, people remember, you know, you stand out as being that guy. And then those same people that in a different situation, whenever you need help, aren't going to, they're not yeah. going to be the guys that are, that are going to be helpful to you. What's your current big goal as related to poker? 
What are you working for? Win rate. Win rate. Win rate and average buy-in. I want my average buy-in up. I want my win rate up. What do you want your average buy-in to be? Um, I mean, as high as possible. I, I don't want to make it jump up too quickly, but I would, you know, in three to five years, I would like to be playing every like 25K, 50K, maybe some 100Ks. Have you played any 100Ks? What's the biggest you've played? Yeah, I played 100K WSOPE Europe. I mean, it's an intimidating atmosphere. I can't think that I would be playing optimally in, in those fields right now. Yes, that so that that was a tournament where you did feel it. You felt the uh, the the magnitude of buying in for a hundred k. Yeah, and also I think a lot of guys are more studied than I at the at the very top at the very top level. I just want to make sure that I have like a five to ten BB hundred win rate for them in those games. What is the ratio of like? recreationals versus top pros look like in a super high roller yeah it, it's really heavily dependent on the location um that that one that i just mentioned to you might have been like 30 percent rex wow um that's a big number and then you go to the poker go you go to the poker go studio for for like one of these uspo series and you're gonna get like 90 95 percent top level regs so it, it's 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 hugely dependent on so choose your spot. You know, last last minute factor. <laughs> like this WSOPE, like it was like a, a jet, a jet or two jets of recreationals flew in like on a whim, you know, and that also influences other recreationals to jump in. So it's, it's just like a weird feeding frenzy. Yeah. What are, what are we doing this weekend? Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's hop on the jet, play a hundred K poker tournament, you know, see how it goes. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Pretty it's random. Evan's birthday. Like, let's get in the plane. <laughs> yeah, let's let's spend a few million. Eh, who cares? We're battling the best players in the world. Whatever, whatever happens, happens. That's the guy that I want to be. I'm going to be honest. Like, I I want to be, like, you know, I I've battled against some like uh, legendary whales in the game, and I've always had this thought to myself, like, man, it's so much fun to be that person they get to play every hand like they don't uh sit there and they, like they're putting their girlfriends into they're putting their girlfriends into 25ks <laughs> i haven't played before is that is that a true thing that that's a real story that's a true story please tell me this story i i, I shouldn't i shouldn't say names but you just see it from time to time yeah so somebody just sticks their girlfriend in and says oh yeah let's dabble go to the and casino re- dabble, yeah, yeah and re-entry re- ent- yeah, re-entry when she snaps snap bus. And doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't know how to play. Oh man! You know some of the some of the wealthiest people in the world, um, you know, like to play poker. It's, they want to gamble too. You know, like all your middle-income Americans want to go to the casino and spend like a hundred bucks on blackjack or whatever. It's like rich people want to gamble too for stakes that are meaningful, and you know, hundred hundred dollars to the to the average American might be like you know. 500k to these rich people exactly exactly and i mean that's why there is a market for these super high buy-in tournaments anyway if there weren't any any of these guys that wanted to play the games would just never run yeah so let's fast forward 15 years into the future what are your list of poker accomplishments going to be 15 years let's see that's going to be a big hand in mob Five main event titles, 
big main event titles, a lot of countries in my passport, big bankroll, huge network, and uh, crazy experiences. Sounds like a pretty good plan for the next 15 years. Do yeah. you, uh, you have any projects you're working on that are near and dear to your heart? Outside of poker? Yeah, it could be inside or outside. Either way. Not outside. Inside, I've been obsessed with um, this program called Hand to Note. I've basically all of my projects have been with that for the past like six months or so. Just immersing yourself into being po- population studies. I I, I want to be population. I, I want to yeah. I want to be like the best. I, I want to be very good at uh, understanding population trends. It's important for me because that's what I I play big large field main events. So like GTO isn't very important to me. Like understanding how reg you know the average buy-in 1k reg things or the average buy-in 500 recreational things you know like these things are are really important to me this is another important point too is that you know there's a Pareto principle in life that says that applies to poker it's the 80 20 rule where 80 80 percent of your money is going to come from 20 percent of the players you battle against in poker so it makes so much sense to spend the majority of your time studying the 20% of players that are that are going to be responsible for 80% of your income. And if you're studying GTO, exactly right. you're studying the guys, you know, you're trying to catch up to these, you know, the world's best players and you're you're studying them, you're investing your energy into that and that's not going to give you the gains that you get from studying the recreational players understanding what they're doing wrong so that you can exploit them and maximize maximize the opportunity that you have when you're battling against them. So 100%, man, the hand-to-note, study the rec populations, that's where the value is. Yeah. So, Uh, um, yeah. I mean, the online games, the online games right now, the high-stakes cash games will run run around one recreational player, and they're all going to be winning at like five bigs a hundred after rake. I mean, all of that win rate is coming from from the recreational player for sure. And understanding how to capture that as, as, as quickly and as fat, like as quickly as possible is, is key for sure. And that's another thing I think that goes unrealized is that, you know, say you, you have an eight BB per hundred win rate and somebody sits down, that's got like a 14 BB per hundred win rate. Right. And then somebody else sits down that's got like a 10 BB per hundred win rate. And you're like, Oh, I don't have an edge here. They both have an edge over me. But like their hourly rate versus you is not going to be super big. Like you're not giving up, you're not giving giving up a ton of EV by sitting there and battling and waiting for somebody worse to sit down. And like people that refuse to battle in a tough game, I think this is something that that they don't always realize is like you're not giving away a ton. You are pitting yourself up against superior players, and in a lot of ways, this is how you improve. But number two is like build the game, stay in the games, and you know eventually the game gets better, and then that's when you make up all the ground from the little bit that you've lost by battling with a few superior players. That's what makes the the experience positive. Yeah, that's exactly what happens in uh, the Macau highest stakes. Is it's like five or six elite regs all day, and then it, you know sometimes they plop in a VIP player and. He plays for three hours and then they take him out and it's back to the toughest game in the world or whatever. Right. And they're all 
winners. <laughs> like they're all the, the expectation yeah. is that they're all going to win over the long term. Right. Um, James, it's been great having you on this show. Thank you very much for your time and energy. I have no doubt that, you know, I'm going to have you in a, on in a few years and you will be absolutely crushing it. The final question is where can the chasing poker greatness audience find you on the World Wide web? Oh, great. Uh, yeah, just search James Romero on Facebook, James Romero on, uh, Instagram and, um, yeah. And, and Twitter, just search my name. You'll find me. I have a lot of followers. Awesome, man. And I'll also put all of that information on the show page. So you can just click through at enhanceyouredge.com. Sir, thank you for the conversation. I have enjoyed it. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. for Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.